you're sound asleep and dreaming. When suddenly the door bursts open and a bright light shines in your face and a voice breaking in on your dream world shouts, wake up, get up, you'll be late. And without more ado, the speaker splashes your face with cold water just to make a point. Time to stop dreaming and face the most important day of your life. That's what the opening to the Gospel of Mark is like, one writer says. Do you feel that emotion of, wake up, you're late, you've been in a dream, and now you're in the real world. Splash of water on your face. That's how Mark starts his gospel, which we started last week by talking about. This whole gospel is about the good news of Jesus Christ, which has come for all people. In the first verse of Mark, he just jumps straight to the point. So in December, we were talking about the birth of Jesus, and Mark skips that whole narrative. And in the first couple of verses, he just cuts straight to the chase and goes right to Jesus beginning his ministry at age 30. And so that's where Mark begins, and that's where we're going to pick up again this morning. So Mark is the story of the Savior, and that's what our series is going to be about this winter and spring. And so this week we're in the second sermon in that series. So last week was on the good news, that Jesus is the only good news you need for 2021, which... Again, we received a lot of bad news again this week, so I hope you're remembering that as you watch the news on Wednesday, that Jesus is the good news that we need. Nothing that happens in Washington will change the good news that's already been proclaimed and that's already happened. And Jesus is on the throne, and that's what we base our foundation of in life. Because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what's coming next year. We don't know what's coming 50 years from now. But we do know that Jesus is king, and we proclaim that as a church together. And so this morning, we're going to jump into our second uh, sermon, which is entitled, Jesus the Caller. So Jesus is the good news, but Jesus, this week, we're going to learn, is the one who calls out to his people. We're going to look at that in several ways this morning. But just an opening story here. This is a story about Alexander Graham Bell, who's a local around here. He was involved in Boston For many years. Let me just read a little bit about Alexander Graham Bell. He was born in Edinburgh, Scotland, in 1847, the son of Alexander Melville Bell, a leading authority in public speaking and speech correction. He could have given me a lot of tips, I'm sure. The young Bell was trained to take over the family business, and while he was still a teenager, he became a voice teacher and began to experiment in sound. And then in 1870, when he was 23 years old, his family moved to Ontario, Canada. And the next year, he went to Boston to demonstrate his father's method of teaching speech to the deaf. The next year, he opened up his own school in Boston, in Boston for training teachers of the deaf. And in 1873, he became a professor of vocal physiology at Boston University. In his free time, Bell experimented with sound waves and became convinced that it would be possible to transmit speech over a telegraph-like system. He enlisted the aid of a gifted mechanic, Thomas Watson, and together the two of them spent countless nights trying to convert Bell's ideas into practical form. And in 1875, while working on his multiple harmonic telegraph, Bell developed the basic ideas for the telephone. And he designed a device to transmit speech vibrations electrically between two receivers. And in June 1875, he tested his invention. No intelligible words were transmitted, but sounds resembling human speech were heard at the receiving end. The next year, he applied for a patent, and about 30 days later, he was awarded a patent. 
What are the different ways that we call each other today? We're going to be talking about this word calling or call. What are the different ways we call each other today? Certainly the first one that probably comes to mind is a cell phone. So you pick up a device and you type in a number and boop, you can talk to anybody. Around the world, if you have the right data plan, you can talk to anybody you want right away. But if a cell, if a cell tower falls down or gets struck by lightning or goes out, then you're out of luck, right? And then you got the landline, and then you got that one you can try. You can also do a handwritten letter. That's one way you can call someone today. It takes a little bit more time, right? But people still do this. I got a handwritten letter in the mail this week from a pastor in Rockport who I don't even know personally, but it was such an encouragement to me because he took time to write a handwritten letter and say, welcome to, back to the North Shore. We're so excited that you're going to be pastoring a church nearby. Can't wait to meet you. Wow, what a great encouraging thing to do. You can write a text message to people. That's an easy way to call people today. You can write an email. My kids got walkie-talkies for Christmas. And you can push these buttons, and they can run to different parts of the house and talk to each other, didn't you, girls? Use walkie-talkies. It was great. You can do Facebook Messenger, which if you're watching on our stream today, you can message us to right now, and we'll get a message and write you back sometime. You can even communicate or call to each other now, not even using words. You can push these little icons on your phone called emojis. And you could send a smiley face to someone to let, let you know they're happy. Or you could send them a thumbs up to say, yep, I agree with that. And you don't even have to use words anymore. You can just use little pictures called emojis. And those can get you into real trouble if you're not careful. It's kind of like going back to the Egyptian hieroglyphics. Like a, if you watch an Indiana Jones movie, they're trying to decode these pictures on the wall. And like, I wonder what these things mean. That's kind of what we're going back to today with these emojis. And that's the way a lot of young people communicate now. It's pretty amazing. You can use hand gestures. You can use online videos like live streaming. You can get on Zoom like we talked about for our Bible study. And all of them have pros and cons and limitations and great things about them. But we can, we can call each other in a lot of different ways today. But have you ever been called? Have you ever received the call? Capital C, call. Have you ever felt like your life just stopped and you were being called? By God? By a voice? By an epiphany? We're in the season of epiphany, you know, if you're going by the church calendar, this time after Advent, after Christmas, the season of epiphany, which means revelation or an announcement or an unveiling. Have you ever felt like you had one of those moments where you were being called? There's about six billion cell phone calls a day. And I'm not talking about those kinds of calls. I'm talking about the call, the capital C call. Jesus is the caller, capital C. And that's what we're going to learn about today. And we're going to ask the question, how is Jesus's call unique in a world with so many different types of calls? How is Jesus' singular call unique in a world where there's so many different types of calls? He is the only one who can speak directly to the heart and the soul of humans. Jesus is the only one who can do that. How can we speak with such boastfulness, you might say? How can we speak with such confidence in that? Well, we believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's word. And the Bible, from, beginning, from the beginning pages of Scripture all the way to the end, talk about a God who speaks. 
In the beginning, God created. And how did he create? He spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be a thousand people in this room. See, I don't have that kind of power. God could do that, and there could be a thousand people in this room. And he's done that throughout history. When God speaks, things happen. And in Hebrews 1, this is what it says about Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the word. John tells us that. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So we're going to look at today in the rest of chapter 1 in Mark. Again, this whole series, we're looking at who Jesus is. Looking at the story of him. And we're going to look at the rest of the chapter of chapter 1 this morning and look at a variety of ways, six different encounters to be specific. So we're going to have to kind of go quick. We're not going to dive into the particulars of each of these stories. But look at it just from a general perspective, six encounters that Jesus has, how he calls people in these six different encounters. And we're going to discover, I think, at least four ways that Jesus' call is, is commonly understood. And so four constants in each of these six encounters in Mark 1. So first we're going to look at, the first point I want to ask is, who does Jesus call? So we're going to do a big sweeping overview of these six encounters. So if you have a Bible in front of you, it would be helpful to look at, usually there's a big heading that will kind of tell you when we're going to the next story. So we could preach six sermons just on these six different snippets. We're going to do one big overview today. So Jesus' call in six encounters. Who does Jesus call? That's the first point. Number one. We're going to look at verses 16 to 20. Jesus calls the first disciples. And the first point here is Jesus calls followers. When Jesus calls, he calls followers. So it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, Jesus saw, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little bit further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And he left, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Two words here in this little passage that, that stick out. I mentioned one of them last week. Do you remember what it is? Immediately. Remember I said in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see this word over and over. Immediately. When Jesus does something in Mark, it is, bam, it's the splash of water in the face. He cuts to the chase. It's immediate. And the second word here is follow. Who does Jesus call? Jesus calls people to follow him. He calls followers. He calls them to leave. Not just a job. He tells them to leave their boats here, their fishing career, certainly. But he's not just calling them to leave a job. He's also calling them to leave a life. You see, fishermen in this day probably were in a fishing family who have done this for generations. And their father Zebedee is right here. And this is probably their boat. They have hired servants with them, it says. So they have a whole little enterprise here of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. But he calls them not just to leave that, but to leave a life. To leave their father behind. 
who doesn't argue with him. You'll notice Zebedee doesn't say, hey, wait a second, uh, this is my fishing boat. You can't just take away my two best fishermen. Zeb- Zebedee just seemingly lets them go because he sees something in the collar here. They leave their family livelihood behind. When Jesus calls a person, he calls them to allegiance, to an absolute leaving one way of life, and to following him. And let's just pause here for a second. Can we admit how dangerous that sounds in the modern world? For Jesus to come along and to call someone to full obedience and allegiance? Again, let's just reflect on the week that we've had and the ways we can misconstrue the call of Jesus in the modern time, which I actually don't think was probably that different in this time as well. But on Wednesday at the Capitol, you saw people who felt like they were called in two different directions. Some people who were called to follow this way, some people who were called to follow this way. An absolute allegiance, you might say. And so when we think about Jesus calling us to full allegiance to himself, that's a dangerous, kind of scandalous call, right? Who is Jesus to say, come and follow me? Imagine if I go down to Derby Wharf or just walk by some of the vendors downtown and I just walk up to someone and say, leave your station and follow me. What kind of reception do you think I would get? You're a crazy man. Who are you? I don't even know who you are. This, this, is, this is really dangerous, what Jesus is doing. And yet there's no, there's no hesitation here. Again, they immediately leave their nets and follow him. An amazing thought here. Jesus has an ability to speak to the heart level in a genuine and pure way, unlike anything else in the world. He did so in the Roman Empire in this first century, in this context. And he does it today. None of us are to pledge our allegiance to anything higher than Jesus Christ. He is the one whom we pledge our ultimate allegiance to. And then under that fall sub-allegiances. But Jesus is the ultimate allegiance that we call, that we follow. He calls followers and he calls to full obedience and allegiance to him. And Peter, or so Simon and Andrew, so Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they follow him. And then James and John, they follow him. Wow. Number two, moving on to the next little passage here, verses 21 to 28. It's a story here about Jesus. He goes into the synagogue in verse 21. He begins teaching on the Sabbath. And it says they were astonished at his teaching because he taught as someone who had authority. This authority that we just saw when he, when he called his disciples. And then 23, and immediately, again, there's that word, there was a, a, uh, a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit or a demonic spirit. And the demonic spirit cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and he said, silence, just be quiet. And then he says, come out of him. Come out of him. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the unclean spirit. He's talking to the demon in this person. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they all were amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. It's the second time that's been used. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, 
or immediately, again, his fame spread everywhere in the region of Galilee. Who does Jesus call? He calls those who are tormented within. So Jesus calls followers, but he calls those who are tormented in their soul. He calls those who have unclean spirits or those who are possessed. I mean, this is certainly demon possession, but this could be those who are just tormented by something in their soul. He calls whatever that is that's tormenting you or us, he calls that to be silent. And he calls for it to get out. And Jesus has the authority to do that. My family had an experience with someone who was demon-possessed about two months ago. I'm not sure we've ever had such a direct experience in our life. And I can share the story maybe with you at another time uh, in the full setting and tell you the full story. But it was really shocking to us to experience what that was like. And so what we see is that it, it makes people do things that are just totally abnormal, crazy, you could even say. It calls people in, into distortion, not to clarity. And that's why this is called an unclean spirit. But Jesus had authority over these people, which is a big theme we'll see in Mark throughout the next several weeks. You'll see direct stories of Jesus calling demons out of people. And in a city like this, there's probably examples where we could find of people that have some kind of unclean spirit in them that Jesus has authority over. And so that's part of the call of the church is to come alongside Jesus and to help people be free. And that's who Jesus calls, those who are tormented within. He calls them to silence and he drives them out. This is what Jesus' calls does. It silences other competing allegiances or loyalties. And it drives people you know, to a path of truth, hope, and love, and to faith. Number three, look at verse 29, 30, and 31. It says, immediately he left the synagogue. You see how, again, Jesus is moving from one thing to the next, just immediately. Immediately he left the synagogue. He entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, those four he just called. And it says, Simon's mother-in-law was ill, laying down with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And Jesus came, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to serve them. Whoa! I feel like I've started to understand fevers a little bit better in the last nine months. Because fever is maybe the number one symptom of the coronavirus, right? So uh, I'm actually someone who personally deals with pretty debilitating migraine headaches. I've had them since I was a kid. And at least once a month, I'll have a day or a big portion of a day where I'm literally on my back, on my bed, blinds closed, cold rag on my forehead, trying to get rid of a migraine headache. It's just, it's become part of my life story. And so I can kind of understand here Simon's mother-in-law just being down and out. Just, I can't do anything. I help, I'm helpless. And I find myself, when I have a migraine headache, praying like I never pray the rest of the time, which is just a prayer of, Lord, please just let this go away. I got things to do. I got people to care for. I got work to do. I have a life to live. Please just help me up. And COVID has shown this in so many of us. We probably have people you know who have been lying down with a fever. Lord, just help me. I need, I need you to help me, to lift me up. Jesus calls those who are down. That's the third one. He calls those who are on down and out. Maybe it's a fever. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe they're just, I can't move because I just, my life, I just, I can't. Jesus calls them up. 
He lifts them up. He takes them by the hand and he lifts them up. He does that for people today. This is what Jesus' call does. It brings people back to life and to full living. She's back up serving the group right away. I mean, she goes from down and out to, okay, let's find everything. Let's get our dinner going. What can I do to serve? Just from nothing to everything. Amazing. Number four, look at verse 35. Jesus calls to the Father. So you notice I skipped a few verses there. We'll come back to those later. Verse 35, Jesus, who does he call to? He calls to his Father. He escapes. He immediately goes somewhere else. It says, verse 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he left. He went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Jesus' ministry is directed to people, certainly. He wants to call followers. He wants to call those who are down and out, those who are, have demons in them, those who are tormented. But he, part of Jesus' call is to call on. And he calls on his father. He goes away to a quiet place. What a great thought. In a busy world, he goes away to a desolate, quiet place. And he prays to his father. What, is a, what, a, what a great thing to emulate today for us as Christians or as people who are seeking spiritual things. Go away to a quiet place and call out to God and see who answers you. Robert Murray McShane has a great quote. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Distance makes no difference if he's praying for me. If I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I I wouldn't fear anything. What would I have to fear? Jesus is praying for me. Jesus' call to humanity comes from his intense, personal, and intimate relationship with his Father. And that's something you and I are to emulate. Any ministry or caring or serving we want to do has to come from a deep, abiding, intimate relationship with God himself, which is forged through years of being on your knees in a quiet place in prayer and in reading of his word, forming that intimate relationship with him. This is what Jesus' call does. It calls us to full dependency on the God and Father as the one and only true life source. He's the fountain of living water who gives water for you so that you can flow and serve and love others. Number five, blitzing through here to verse 36. So it says Jesus was praying and then he was interrupted by Simon in verse 36. And they found him and Simon comes up to him and says, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Why are you doing out here all by yourself? And Jesus said to them, let's go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. If I'm Jesus, which I'm not, which you should be thankful for, but if I was Jesus and I was trying to build a ministry and one of my disciples comes up to me and says, hey, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. You know what my first instinct would be to do? Great, let's go. I'll I'll go back to them. I'll preach my message. So if I were to walk out the front door here of the church this afternoon and someone were to come up to me on the sidewalk and say, Pastor Stephen, everyone's looking for you. They want you to share the good news. You know what I would do? I'd probably go wherever they wanted me to go and say, yeah, I'll go. I'll go tell the good news to them. What does Jesus do? He's like, let's go to the next town. Let's go to the next city. I... 
this is why I came out, actually, is to preach the gospel everywhere. So I, I actually need to go there, too. So who does Jesus call? I think this is pretty profound here. Jesus calls those who are not seeking him. Those who are not looking for him, Jesus goes to them anyway. And so Alan and Julie, you guys went to Uzbekistan many years ago to go to people who are not calling on Jesus. You went to take the good news to them. That's Jesus's heart as well. We take the gospel to people who are not seeking him and say, hey, guys, we got good news. And we certainly share it with those who are seeking as well. But Jesus here puts a big priority on going to people. Jesus was laser focused on his grander mission. This is why I came out, to go to all these towns. You know what this reminds me of is is a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15 of the parable of the sheep, of the 99 sheep, and the one that wanders off. Let me just read this for a second. Luke 15. It says, he tells them a parable to the Pharisees who were grumbling about how Jesus is eating with sinners. It says, what man of you, if you had a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says to them, rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the heart of Jesus, to go after those who are not even seeking. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he may be near. Isaiah 65 says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. And yet Jesus' promise in Jeremiah 29, God's promise in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek after me with your whole heart. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is what Jesus' call does. It seeks after those who are far away. But lest we think we forget about those who do seek Jesus, this is the last one of the encounters, the sixth one, verses 40 to 45. It's the story of a leper. And it says, a leper came up to him. So someone who had this awful skin disease, who made them an outcast in society, who had to stay far away, kind of like those who have COVID right now. Quarantine yourself. Stay away. Don't touch us. That's what a leper kind of felt like with a skin disease, highly infectious. But he came to Jesus. He knelt before him and he says, if you will, you can make me clean, Jesus. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand. And Jesus touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately, there's that word again, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Lastly, Jesus calls those who are seeking him, those who do come to Jesus with their pain, with their abnormality, with their brokenness, with their sin. The promise of Jeremiah and Isaiah stands. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart, you will be found. 
And that's what Jesus does. He shows great compassion. It says he was moved with pity. Moved in his deepest guts. That's what the word means. The the pity, the compassion. In his guts. The deepest part of Jesus he felt for this person. And he wanted to make him clean. Because that's what Jesus does when people come to him. If you genuinely are lost in life and are at your wit's end and you come to Jesus with an earnest prayer and say, Jesus, I don't even know if you're real, but I'm praying to you because I've been told that you are the one who can save me, who can make me clean, who can pick me up out of this pit. Jesus will do that. That is the heart of God, to have mercy and compassion on sinners, on all of us. And so if you're in that place today, come to Jesus. We're going to sing a song in just a few minutes, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And that's what the whole story is about. So again, just like last week, my last two points are very much shorter than the first point. We've seen the big overview of who Jesus calls. What then is constant about when Jesus calls? What are some of the themes we've seen in all these stories this morning? Number one, Jesus' call is authoritative. He speaks with authority that no one else can speak with. More so than any president, more so than any pastor, more so than any boss, Jesus' call is authoritative. He speaks with the capital C call. He is God. That's what we believe as Christians, and therefore he calls people to himself. Number two, Jesus' call is immediate. We've said that word over and over this morning. Immediately or at once. When Jesus calls, he calls directly. And he asks for immediate response. He asks for an immediate reaction. So I had a friend who went skydiving one time. I've never been skydiving, probably never will. Heights are probably my least favorite thing in the world. But I had a friend that went skydiving. He said, you know, skydiving's not that scary. He said, you know what's really scary, though? The 10 seconds that you're standing in an open door on the airplane. In the air, when you're standing there looking down and going in this giant plane that's going fast, and you're looking down, and you got this, everything's going through your mind. Is this pack going to open up? Is there a storm below? Is this, is this really safe? Am I, should I really be doing this? He said, but when you actually make the jump, it's pure joy. And it's, he's like, that's actually not what's scary. But standing there at the door is what's scary. That's what the spiritual life is a lot, a lot like too, right? Before we answer the call to Jesus, it's scary. But Jesus says, trust in me. I will make your ways straight. Number three, Jesus' call is fresh. What I mean by that is Jesus' call is to a new way. And it's a way unlike anything that's ever been communicated in history. It's fresh. It's a new way that no one else or anything else can call you to. It's moving from a life about me to a life about him. And it's, it's fresh. It's like a splash of water in your face that we mentioned earlier. It's a calling away from something and into something. Sometimes that's vocationally, like we saw with these fishermen. Leave your job as fishers of fish, and now you'll be a fisher of men. It's actually part of my call. When I was in college, I had a vocational call. It was a change. I was serving for a summer overseas one year, and I was a business major at the time, and I thought maybe I'd go in and be a business person and open up my own business one day. I was studying marketing. And then I was serving overseas in a ministry context, and Jesus very clearly called me, capital C. And he said, Stephen, what you're doing on this trip, I want you to do for a lifetime, all the time. 
And it was a vocational call for me. Away from marketing for business to, you're no longer going to be a marketer of, of business. You're now going to be a marketer of men, a marketer of the gospel. It's kind of if you put it in the fisher of men mentality. But it's not always a vocational shift. For most of us, I would say it's actually probably not. Not all Christians are called to be full-time ministers or pastors or missionaries. But you're called to be a follower, obedient follower of Jesus no matter where you are. It's a new way. So say you're a businessman and you receive a call to Christ. You can be a, the best Christ-centered businessman you can possibly be. Or a retired Christian. Or whatever you are in now, God can take you and mold you into whatever he wants, wherever you are now. So sometimes it's vocationally, but not always. It's moving from a a debilitated life to a rehabilitated life. It's moving from exclusion to inclusion. It's a new way of the world that flips your life inside out and, and the world upside down. Number four, Jesus' call is costly. This is something we see as constant throughout people's calls either in the scripture or just in life that we see. Jesus calls us to leave things behind. He calls us to a costly way of life that sometimes is painful and sometimes will not actually feel better. Sometimes it'll feel harder. Bonhoeffer, a German theologian in the mid-century, said when Christ calls a person, he calls them to come and die. He calls them to take up their own cross and to follow him. One, one more modern writer says, when you read ancient Christians, you notice that we mainly talk today about Christ sharing in our sufferings. And the ancient Christians mainly talk about us sharing in his sufferings. Let me read that one more time. When we, mainly, we mainly talk about Christ sharing in our sufferings. It's like when we're, doing, when we're suffering, we say, oh, well, Christ has shared in our suffering too by dying on the cross, which is true. He says the ancient Christians mainly talk about us sharing in Christ's suffering. So when you become a follower of Jesus, it's actually an expectation that you will suffer because Jesus suffered as well. And there's promises in Scripture that say that you will suffer if you follow him. A servant is not greater than his master, Jesus says. If they persecuted me, also they'll persecute you. I have four or five other ones here that for the sake of time, I think I'll skip. But you get the point. There's promises in Scripture that suffering is commonplace for believers. So we shouldn't shouldn't be surprised. We should actually expect it. And so in a week like this week, maybe, maybe that's a good thing for us to hear. Last point. How is Jesus' call unique today in the world? Again, we opened with by saying that there's many calls, many different ways to be called today. You can listen to a lot of voices that are calling you to things. How is Jesus' call unique? So I opened with the story of Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone. When he finally got his patent on March 10, 1876, on March the 7th, 1876, he was awarded his patent. On March 10th, three days later, he tested his phone, his telephone, with Mr. Watson in the other room. And he said famously, maybe you've heard this, On the phone, Mr. Watson, come here. I want you. And Mr. Watson could hear in the other room on the other side of the telephone, and he came to the room, and that's how they knew it worked. Mr. Watson, come here. I want you. That's the call of God 
That's the uniqueness of the call of God, is when He calls to us, He calls us to Himself. He says, come here. I want you. So what's unique about God's call? You. God calls uniquely to you. So the way He calls me is going to be a little bit different than how He calls you. He's a call, it's a call uniquely to God Himself, and it's a call uniquely to you. He calls individual souls to himself, and he does so in profoundly personal ways and intimate ways. We, on the Zoom call on Wednesday night, we talked a little bit about the conscience. Uh, and can you really trust your conscience? So Jiminy Cricket and Disney says, always let your conscience be your guide. And it's probably not the best advice, actually, right? The conscience is probably not the best guide to have. In reality, what we listen to is that we listen for the still, small voice of God, specifically to us, coming through the noise of the world, particularly to you. And the last two things I'll say is God's call is actually probably feels pretty ordinary most of the time. So sometimes, I, again, maybe two or three times in my life, I've had this moment where I step back and say, oh my goodness, God's calling. Like, I hear you. Like, I, I see, I feel that clarity. But most of the time, the call of God is in very average, normal, everyday circumstances. A previous pastor once told me, going back to skydiving, he says, it's always better to be on the ground wishing you were in the sky than to be in the sky wishing you were on the ground. And so a lot of times, I think we operate that way as Christians. We say, I just want this big, grand call of God. I want to be in the sky and have this big, grand call. But when it actually comes, you're like, ooh, that's, that's terrifying. It's kind of like skydiving. Like it's, it's, God's call can be really frightening in a, when it's in a big way. So oftentimes how God calls is when we're already on the ground to normal, everyday, little commitments, little risks, little steps of obedience. And that's what I'm going to be encouraging each of you to listen to as you go throughout your week. John Piper says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. But he's always doing, he's saying 10,000 reasons for my heart to find earlier. He says, you may be aware of three at any given moment, but he's actually doing 10,000 things in your life. God's call is unique because it's a call to a kingdom. We mentioned this last week. This is what our church is all about. Advancing the kingdom of God in Salem on earth as it is in heaven. And God's call is to a kingdom, not to personal success, not to just a better life, but to a kingdom, to be a participant and a priest in his kingdom, which will have no end. When Christ calls us, he calls us to build his kingdom for his glory for all time. Jesus is the only true caller in the world. And when we listen for his voice and when we cry out to him, he will answer and you will be found. And we're going to see that unfold in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray simply as we conclude this sermon this morning that you would give us the ability to hear your voice. We live in a busy world with a lot of distractions, a lot of noise. And the news shows us many ways that we can be drifting in one direction or another into various different small sea calls. But Lord, we pray that we would be like Jesus, who we can retreat to a quiet place and call out to our Father and hear your call on our lives. Would you give us the ability to do that? We pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.